Hello, welcome to Don't Call Me Exotic. I'm O Annie O. I'm a DJ, radio presenter, and promoter. This is the podcast where I invite people in the creative field to come talk to me about diversity, culture, personal experiences of racism, both in life and in their careers. This is the first live recording of this podcast, and it was recorded on the 3rd of August in the courtyard of Somerset House. I'd like to thank everyone at Somerset House, everyone that came down, Gareth Pugh and Carson McCall for curating the month-long celebration of community and culture called This Bright Land. I hope you enjoy it. So hi everyone, thank you so much for coming everyone here. Um, I just want to say first thank you to everyone here and also to Somerset House for having us and Gareth and Carson for curating this amazing month-long celebration of community and culture. Um, this is my first ever podcast live. Ah, yeah, come on, give it up. So I'm like really giddy and nervous but so excited uh, for those who know about the podcast it's called don't call me exotic um, and who don't know about the podcast this um, I am Annie I DJ under the name O Annie O I am a radio presenter I'm also a club promoter and also um, a podcaster so I started this podcast at the end of last year um, and I speak to other people of color um, who are in the creative industry and who are doing amazing things, uplifting culture and creating their own communities. And we talk about basically how racism has affected our personal and our private lives and also our professional lives. And um, we also spill some tea as well. But without further ado, I'd love to welcome my next guests, <laughs> Lily Snatchdragon and Jason Kwan from the Bitten Peach. Hi everyone. <laughs> um, so could you guys start off by um, explaining who you are, um, your own personal projects, but also about the Bitten Peach as well? Do you want to go first? I'll go first. I'll leave you to the end then. <laughs> uh, hi everyone. My name is Jason Kwan. I use he, they pronouns. I am a music artist and a cabaret performer and a model. And I also work within the LGBTQ plus homelessness sector um, and just an all around creative really. And my name is Lily Snatchdragon, and I am a AFAB drag queen, host, performer, producer, uh, mentor. <laughs> <laughs> I just do lots of things in the cabaret industry. Uh, and all my work is based on Western stereotypes of Southeast Asian women. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> So Lily, you are um, one of the co-founders of The Bitten Peach. Yes. So can you kind of talk us through when you guys formed, how many performers there are in the group, and tell us a bit about uh, you guys. So yeah, so The Bitten Peach kind of started talks within like 2018, when we first like started talking about it. I'm just checking with Evelyn <laughs> Carnet, who's also here, is one of the founders. Um, and basically it was during Lunar New Year and one of the other founders, Shay Shay, put up a post looking for Asian performers for Lunar New Year. And um, I was really upset because I was actually going to be at Evelyn Carnet's wedding, so I wasn't going to be able to apply for the show. So I messaged Shay saying I was really, really upset that I'd be missing out on an all Asian lineup because I've never been in one. and. Uh, this year will be my 10th year performing. Wow. And at that point, I'd never seen an all Asian lineup 
in London or in the UK or known about it. Um, so I messaged Shay being like, Do you know, I'm so pleased about this one show, but because it's Lunar New Year, wouldn't it be great if we could just take over London so we can stop seeing white performers dressed up as Japanese geishas in Primark bathrobes? Wouldn't it be oh great my God. if we could just stop that culture appropriation by putting on so many Asian-related shows that they wouldn't have an excuse but to book us? And Shay was like, yes, we should. Let's meet next week. And I was like, oh, 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 oh okay. okay. Um, so I messaged Evelyn as well, because Evelyn and I had always discussed about having uh, all Asian shows. And Evelyn came in and we had a meeting, all three of us. And we set up seven different venues mm-hmm. in the one month. So we had seven shows, different shows. So we had like burlesque, we had drag, uh, we had club nights. Uh, we had like different varieties and we sold out every single show. Wow. So we launched in 2019 for Lunar New Year. Um, and it was incredible. It was incredible that we managed to sell out so much. And at that point, we were like, okay, let's get a photo shoot. Let's do a, like a big bang. But who do we know that's Asian? And we literally had eight people yeah. in that photo shoot. So in 2019, we had eight performers uh, that we all knew individually and asked them to come and do this photo shoot with us. And last year, we did our normal annual photo shoot and there were 42, Mm -hmm. 42 performers that could make it. There's more, there's so much more of us, but I would say there's at least... I'd say we're 70 plus at the moment. Yeah, 70 plus people who have actually been in shows and have performed with us. Um, and we're now we're branching up to like Manchester and we've got loads of different things on. So it's just incredible that eight performers were like, oh, who do we know? <laughs> <laughs> so in the 10 plus years that you've been in the industry, like had you met these other performers before? When I started, I, including myself, I knew five. There were five performers. There was Aurora Star, Fancy Chance, Suki Singapore, uh, myself and uh, Marianne Cheesecake when I started and then Evelyn afterwards so there was like six and that's like specifically oh yeah and Suri, Singap- uh, Suri Sumatra so there yeah. was like seven but when I first started I only knew like four or five and then throughout so it was literally and we were never put in the same lineups ever do you think that was purposeful or I think with a lot of shows, and it's still happening now, that they are basically we're all tick boxes. Right. So they'll tick box. They'll have diversity check. Yeah, it, it is. It's a, it's a, it's the it's the quota. It's a diversity checklist. They'll try and make sure they have one drag king, one person of color, but then they'll throw in one Asian person. And it helps if the drag king is a person of color as well, because then that's two in one. <laughs> And they don't have to do so much. So it's always like, and then the rest is just white queens mm. or white performers. <laughs> Jason, when did you start? Like, So I was actually in the first ever yeah. Benefit show. Oh, wow. And that was also my first um, kind of proper queer cabaret gig. Um, and I met Shay Shay through the charity I worked at. And I had brought them in to be an MC for one of the conferences. And we became really good friends. And I applied to be in one of their shows. And they're like, 
Not this one. Why don't you wait till February when we're going to launch this Lunar New Year show? It's going to be all Asian. It's going to be incredible. And I said, hell yeah, that sounds amazing. And that was also the first time that I found people within the linen scene who did what I wanted to do, right? Like, basically, be able to be queer and be Asian and put that on the forefront of who you were. Yeah. And, like, so much before that, I was just playing in straight white pubs with my keyboard, singing songs that, like, people did not care about. And I finally found, like, an audience and a family that, like, I could really resonate with. And, mm-hmm. and it really just snowballed from that one show, so. Yeah. Has finding the bitten page given you a lot of self-confidence as an artist as well? For sure. I think for a long time, I've always been told what I can and can't be. Right. And like, I walk into a room and I say I'm a singer, and the first thing people say is like, oh my god, I love BTS. And I'm like, oh I get it, but I'm Chinese. I'm from Hong Kong. Like, I don't speak a word of Korean. I don't make that type of music. Like, why have you already <laughs> assumed so many things when I've just said hello to you? And so it's like, I have to combat things. And I think as you know, people of color, other minorities, we walk into rooms and we feel like, okay, how can I fit in? How can I make it work? Whereas a bit in Peach, you walk in and you're like, okay, how can I just be myself? Yeah. So I really felt like I was able to do that within the bit and Peach spaces and just explore who I wanted to be as an artist. Yeah, I feel like that in Asian spaces as well. It's like, I can walk in and I'm a human being. Yeah. And I'm not just like, okay, like, what do I, how do I need to act in order to like fit in? Like, I don't yeah. need to have that barrier. So yeah, that's wonderful. But like going back to what you were saying, Lily, how do you find, like, I wanted to get your thoughts on what the current climate of drag is now and like do you find like with the overwhelming success of shows like RuPaul's Drag Race like do you <laughs> you're pursing your lips <laughs> um, how, do you feel like that's been a positive thing for the scene or like with everything there's pros and cons there's always going to be pros and cons I think it's um, really amazing that RuPaul has put like uh has made it more mainstream i guess in 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 that sense so it is more known but at the same time there's so many so many cons that come with it um i think a lot of people who watch drag uh via rupaul's drag race have an idea of what they think drag is uh and of course you watch three seasons and everyone's a expert on it um so yeah i i have a lot of <laughs> maybe i should step in so you don't annoy anyone <laughs> i don't care to be honest i don't care if i annoy everyone because these are my opinions and yeah. my opinions are my own um and don't reflect on anyone else or the bitten peach um but um i couldn't i couldn't be on a show that now, I mean, honestly, I was watching RuPaul from season one. Um, and from seasons one to five, I would say are great because they're about drag. I learned so much about drag from RuPaul on watching that program. I learned about makeup. I learned about costume making. I learned about chosen families and how much that meant. But once it started to get more mainstream and more popular, it started becoming about a reality TV show. It started becoming about drama. It started becoming about production. And like, I know a lot of 
I know a lot of the RuPaul Drag Race girls from the US and the UK and hearing some of the backstage stuff really? that goes on and things that they're egged on to say or like blah 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 said this about you why don't you go confront them because they want drama and if you don't play along that's it right. and I don't believe in that I don't believe in that at all and everyone keeps saying oh you should go on RuPaul's Drag Race yes I would love a one year you know attention you know thing where I do earn money for a year because that's your timeline but I don't want to be judged by a fracker if, if I'm all honest and it has changed it's changed the scene for good and bad but it's like at the end of the day for me personally as an AFAB queen I'm still having to fight because I have a vagina and I still have to fight because I'm Asian I still have to fight three times as hard than a white queen who can walk on stage with a Primark dress and badly lip sync a song. Like I'm still having to do six times as more yeah. for it I'm because that's what, this is what like the public know is what drag is, is what they see on TV and that's what they find acceptable. Yeah, just for people who <laughs> don't know what AFAB oh, means? Yeah. Could you? Um, AFAB stands for Assigned Female at Birth. And AMAB is Assigned Male at Birth. So I am an AFAB queen. Well, I also read that you studied theater yes. when you were younger, but then you didn't want to pursue acting because you faced challenges as a, a queer, curvy Asian woman. But yeah. before I go on, like I do <laughs> want to just point out that those three um, parts of you are what you celebrate now so yes. that's that's yeah, yeah, amazing yeah. like to start off with but thank you yeah and i i did kind of want to speak to you about you know being in a, a scene that's primarily what cis male um male assigned at birth scene like yeah. how do you how do you navigate that just do that asian thing where you have to be perfect <laughs> and the best um, and just work four times as hard. And don't say anything. Until you burn out yeah. and don't, you know. The thing is, is like, I, I'm very patient when it comes to my career. So I'll wait. Mm. You do you, babe. I will, quite, I will quite happily take the incredible slug trail. Burn yourself out, bitches. Do that. <laughs> You burn yourself out, you do you, but I'm the one that's, I'm gonna be the cockroach at the end. <laughs> I'm gonna be the Asian cockroach. Oh, we do live a very long time. On. That's gonna be me. I prefer longevity, not, uh, you know. Yeah. I'd rather, I would rather have a very slow but fulfilling career than a fast, quick one. Yeah. Because I love what I do. My art's very important to me, and the bit and peach is very important to me. My peers are really important to me, and a sense of community is important to me. It's just where your priorities are, and that's where mine are. Mm. <laughs> Did I even answer your question? I don't know, but I liked it. It's fine. Okay, great. <laughs> that's where it's gone. But uh, <laughs> you said that you developed Lily Snatchdragon yes. as a Western stereotype of Southeast Asian woman. Yes. So can you talk us through kind of how that came about? Working at Byron's in London, in Angel, is how it came about. <laughs> uh, working as a waitress, um, I've never received so much racism or stereotype racism at me. Um, I was, 
my favorite one is, why do you speak English so well? Oh, How do you awesome. speak English so well? Where did you learn? And it's like, I, I grew up with English. Really? Wow. Wow. So the ability not to speak English was one. Um, and I once had uh, a couple that came in and I went to their table to take their drink order and they didn't even let me speak. They literally was like, we would like two Cokes, two Cokes, and point to the menu. So I automatically went, okay, <laughs> no problem, two Cokes, come your way. <laughs> And I kind of like just got their drinks and then I sat and that someone else, another couple was sat on the table of two next to them. And I just went to the table and I went really loud. Hi everyone, what can I get for you? <laughs> what would you like? That every time I went to that other table, I spoke like, here your food. You want ketchup mayonnaise for you. <laughs> and they were really embarrassed that they left me like a 10 pound tip. But I didn't stop, I did it, through, I know, I should have been higher, but you know what, I'll take a 10 pound tip, when usually it's like two pounds. <laughs> so that's where that kind of like, and then I once had a guy ask me when I came to England to get married for a passport. And I thought he was joking, but he was actually very genuine. And I had to be like shoved downstairs because I was literally about to deck the guy. I was like, I can't serve you. I can't serve you. <laughs> Um, but he was very serious. So, and also like the whole like when people look at you, they're like konnichiwa, and you're like, oh no, yeah, ni hao. They never know Korean though. It's so weird. No, <laughs> people speak to me in different languages. Like, yeah, it means this in it, and I'm like, good for you, babe. <laughs> so that's kind of like where the beginnings of Lily started. Yeah. was literally the stereotypes of how Western people look at my face and see me, and like make those judgments. What kind of reactions do you get when you're confronting kind of your audience with those stereotypes? It does depend on the audience. When I'm surrounded with a full white audience, many of the people think that accent is my real accent still. Okay. So I, I do talk in the stereotype like, hello, but I up it so high. I don't think you can be thinking that it will. But people think it's real. So I like to break it at the end and watch their faces because I'm tired of spoon feeding and yeah so I get mixed reactions some reactions are like this is when I'm with Asian people they love it because they're laughing with it because they understand it some white people laugh at the satire of it all and they get like I don't know if I should be laughing at this because this is like not cool <laughs> Yeah. But I am understanding that this is satire and there are some people who are so outraged because they're so woke um, that they find it really offensive that I'm stereotyping a Chinese person, even though I'm not Chinese and I'm obviously doing it. <laughs> but I've had lots of different people who are like, I find it really offensive that you're stereotyping Chinese people. And I'm like, I've literally said I'm Thai. Like, I've just literally said it. Um, but they don't get it. Mm. So some people don't get it. That's fine that's on your intellectual iq problem mm. um and that's cool but some people it's for the people who do get it yeah that i do it for and for myself i wanted to ask you both about your relationship to western standards of beauty because i'm tired <laughs> i'm tired but for you guys to put yourself on a platform and to perform 
Yeah, I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that. I've talked a lot. <laughs> I love listening. Um, Sounds of so Beauty. Polite. So I grew up in Hong Kong for half of my life, and I grew up here for half of my life. So I feel like I've had both ends of it. And for me, like the interesting thing is like the spectrum of masculinity and femininity. Like mm. how I'm supposed to be looking like this in specific spaces. Like it's so different when I'm in yeah. Hong Kong. You know, uh, I feel like I'm allowed to be more feminine in Hong Kong because the standards of masculinity here are so to the other extreme. Um, in terms of beauty standards, like growing up, I was and still am completely fetishized. I think being a, a queer male presenting person, you are treated as someone who, like, similar to like, Asian women yeah. uh, in the heteronormative situations. Like, I'm supposed to be subservient, I'm supposed to be quiet, I'm supposed to be submissive, and all these things which I am not, and neither are you. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> weird. Are you because, laughing when you say that? Because <laughs> <laughs> I say quiet, and you're definitely not quiet. Um, but, you know, I would be in these situations, in these dynamics, and be like, Am I supposed to be like that? Is yeah. that the only yeah. way I could date in this country? Um, and so for a long time, like, I'll have to like relearn things. And it took me a lot of like falling down to figure out what I would not put up with, uh, because we put up with a lot uh, before we say, actually, that's not cool at all. I'm just gonna do me. Yeah. yeah. I found that as well, where it's like you're told to that you're supposed to be a certain way. That you're like, I never had the chance to figure out who I actually am like I could be that way but it doesn't mean that you yes. know it's just because I'm Asian it's just like I, I could be like that as a human being but yeah you kind of have to unlearn all of those things and then start again and I'm yeah. doing that as an adult <laughs> yeah I kind of feel for um, for like Asian AFAB women there are two like type boxes for you you can either fall in I mean, maybe three, but it's either the alternative Asian, which is totally you, because <laughs> you don't have your natural hair color. Yeah. So obviously you're crazy. Yeah, I'm crazy. So crazy. <laughs> I'm so quirky. So um, wild. Or you've got like that nerdy, like, yeah. type of Asian. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I never fit in. I, I, I'm mixed race, so I'm half white. And I have... <laughs> I didn't get my mum's beautiful Asian metabolism. <laughs> so obviously that was always a problem. I mean, all the way I was growing up, my mum would, would lift up my hood eye and she would go, when I have enough money, I'm going to do surgery so you can have the fold in the eye. And everyone's like, oh my God, that's like ridiculous. And it is, yes, it sounds ridiculous, but it's because she didn't want me to be made fun of. She didn't want me, she had this idea, she would, if I was like in the sun tanning, she'd be like, don't be too dark, don't be too dark. So my mum is quite naturally dark and the amount of racism my mum got, she never really wanted that for me. She was trying to protect you, but. She was trying to protect yeah. me, but in the worst way possible. In a possible. terrible way. <laughs> worst way. I yeah. like going for dinner with like my Asian family, my aunties would always be like, oh, so fat, tweet, tweet, which means like fat, fat in Thai, like, in like Lao and Thai, like so fat, like there's nothing I can do about it. And especially now that I am like a more curvier person, um, I do struggle a lot. They talk about where I got my big boobs from. They don't know where it, what side it oh. came from. There are full ass discussions around the dinner meal being like, do you think they got it from auntie blah, 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 because she's, she's got big breasts. And they're like, 
and you're like just sat there trying to like eat your eyes like, <laughs> can we stop talking about this oh no 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 they got it from the english side from auntie blah blah because she's got big boobs like it's it's not a it's very difficult and i still struggle with it and i still struggle with my weight and i still struggle with um the perception that other people have of me as an Asian person, which is some ways, you know, why I gave up the acting. Because I got tired of being told that I was too white. I got tired of being told I was too Asian for white roles and too white, you know, like opposites. Like I was never good enough for either side of any role. And then I was just too fat in general. And it was just like, I don't, you know, I got told in an ITV casting that I was perfect for a role, but my tits were just too big. And I was standing there and I was like, I don't know where you want them to go. <laughs> like, I, I, where, what do you want me to do with it? There's nothing I can do. And it's like, they don't care if you're like sitting in front. And I just kind of like, do you know what? Like I wasted my time being here. And that's when I gave them like the two fingers and walked out. And that's when I quit going to castings. Because it's just so, and I knew that that was the industry was going to be like, but it's just so demoralizing when you're constantly trying to fight against something. And like, I'm not surprised I spent half of my life, this is probably like everyone else's like Asians, and like not just Asian people, but like you spend half your time with eating disorders because you have to be, especially as an Asian woman, you're meant to fit into this physique. And if you're anything different or anything but, then you're not the right Asian. And it's battling against trying to be the right Asian all the freaking time, and it's mm. frustrating. You, we were speaking earlier yeah. um, that <laughs> you know sometimes you feel like you're not Asian enough. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know because I'm mixed. For me, it's being um, I'm growing up in so many different countries. I was born in Saudi Arabia, and then I lived in Cyprus. And then I lived in Thailand, and then I moved to the UK when I was 16. But it's being mostly surrounded by Western people, anything that was too Asian. It's a similar story like when all Asian people go to school with their food, and they're, why does your food smell? Oh, don't. That's like a whole trauma in right? itself. Right? It, it's really traumatic. It's so yeah. traumatic when you've got, when people I are know. like, and so my mom stopped doing it for both of us. Like, we would only have Western food of like sandwiches and like cucumber and like. I used to be jealous of when people brought Lunchables. Like, oh, do you remember? No. I used to be jealous of really? that. Really? Like, I. Sorry, mom. And oh. I carry shame and guilt over this. I used to like throw my mom's food out that she woke up at like six in the morning oh. to prepare. And I'd be like jealous of Lunchables. That's how deep our trauma goes. I just yeah. don't eat. Just don't eat. <laughs> just don't, don't eat if it's if your food's like, people are gonna make fun of your food, you just don't eat. But my mum did like start just making us like sandwiches and stuff. Like she clocked on mm. and like started just making Western food. But I always feel like I'm not Asian enough because I'm Asian enough here, but I'm, when I go back home, I'm a foreigner. Yeah. I'm treated like a tourist because to them I look really white. So it's really weird. <laughs> you know what, weirdly like in Hong Kong, because I went to international school, it was the same. Yeah. Even though we were in Asia, like the hierarchy was like white supremacy. Like I would be from Hong Kong, go to school and be like my food smells. Mm. Like, isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's like, but this is the city that we're all in. 
However, like colonization really has an effect, and like yeah. Western media and everything that sets what the standard of correct is yeah. and beauty is. Like, I remember growing up knowing and thinking that Asian people were not attractive. Like that was something that lived in my mind. I'll be like, oh, like within the Asian like you know um, communities, there are standards of beauty. But outside of that, like I always learned that like Asian men are like if you're feminine or you're blah blah, like you're emasculated, like. You were just never attractive, and so it took me so many years to like unlearn things like that, yeah. and to also learn how beautiful all these Asian people are, because you live with that from day zero, right? I was always scared I was related to them. What? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I once dated a guy who like freaked me out. He was like, so my mum is from Laos, um, and I once dated a guy who was half Lao, and I was so excited because I was. Dating someone who was Asian and half Lao, but it freaked me out because mum, like, they knew my family name, and it freaked me out. And I was like, "Are we related?" And <laughs> so I just random. couldn't. I know, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I found twenty pounds. <laughs> Jason, you moved to London in two thousand eight. Is that right? Um, I moved to Kent, actually. Moved to Kent. Yeah, I moved to a little place called Tunbridge. Uh, like, no one yeah. thinks I grew up in the UK because I still sound American. Well, American. I never grew up in America, but it's an like international school yeah. accent. Um, but yeah, I left Hong Kong quite young, and I made that decision. And I told my parents I was going to go, and that was mainly because of homophobia and bullying at school. And so I, I got a, a hardship fund and a music scholarship, and the school was like, "We'll pay for you to come." And then I applied behind my parents' back, and they were, I was like, "I'm gonna go," and they're like, "Good luck." <laughs> so I, I went, Good and luck. they were supportive of me going to study there. And it, but it's just weird because I thought I was leaving homophobia. I was like, "Yeah, goodbye, Asian homophobia." I got to UK. It was just like very upper middle class, all white, independent boys boarding school that was Anglican. And everyone was not only homophobic but also super racist. Wow. And I was like one of the only Asian people there. And I mean Asian as in like the entire continent of Asia. Uh, it was weird. And I, and also growing up in the boys' school, like masculinity is pushed to that extreme of like this oh, is where yeah. you're supposed to be. Like I played rugby for three years. Like look at me. <laughs> I am not built to do it. And I really put my body out there to just fit in. Right? It's crazy. <laughs> Well, you do that to survive, don't you? Sorry? Yeah. You do that to survive that Yeah, you, you assimilate as much as you can, but... And when we're talking about Asian stereotypes, I played the nerd. I was absolutely the nerd. I didn't... I, I think I'm quite a loud person, but I wasn't at all growing up. I spent all of my time in my rehearsal rooms playing piano because that was, like, my escape, right? I'll just write music and stuff. And it was only when I went to university that I was like, you know what, I'm just going to be myself now and just, like, let myself go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've spoken about like growing up in, as an East Asian person in the UK and like our community is kind of like silent or invisible. Mm. So like what inspired you to be, kind of think that you're part of that community but then you're going to put yourself out there and be your full self and perform? I think for me, I just got tired of not being Asian. I know it sounds weird but like I would you know, I wouldn't lead with who I was. I would just try to assimilate. And for a long time, I would leave being queer outside the door. I'll leave my East Asianist outside the door. And now I'm just like, I'm just being myself, but I'm just being so proud of those two things at the same time. And I just want to talk about it all the time. I think university was a big change for me when I started to play my own music. 
because I really felt like I was in control of the narratives I was saying. Um, and then when I came to London and found the bit and peach, I was like, okay, now I found a really great place where I can say it, and people get me, and they're not trying to make me do other things. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think for me, that whole sense of community didn't really start until the bit and peach. I kind of say the bit and peach is the family I didn't even know I needed. Aww. And it always makes me tear up because I spent so long hating being Asian and hating who I was, part of me was, that I never paid any attention to my Asian side. Um, and it wasn't until my dad passed away uh, my dad was from Liverpool, but my dad was a Lao man through and through. Uh, he could speak, read, and write the language, all self-taught. He knew the country like the back of his hand um, and was so proud to know so many things. And he spoke like a local, which was really embarrassing because uh, he would use like slang words and stuff that were not polite, like not the polite version of like saying things. So he would speak. It was quite embarrassing, but it was, but also that's how my dad learned was, you know, um, so before he died, like the two of us went on like a little uh, tour around Laos and he showed me the country that I'm from and he was so passionate about it. And then coming back and doing the bit and peach really um, ignited something in me. All of a sudden, it was so much fun to talk about rice cookers. <laughs> <laughs> it was so much fun to, talk, to be able to talk about rice cookers, to be able to talk about the things you can do in a rice cooker, like do hot pot, to talk about different foods, to talk about different things without feeling ashamed or without feeling it was like for the first time in my life. Like we've been, how old are we now? What, four years? Three. Three. Yeah. No, four. So literally four years. Like, I'm 40 next year. I know. <laughs> but, like, for the first time, like, since, like, 36, something in my life, the first time clicked. And I felt so proud to be Asian. And, so pr and I've learned so much from the Bitten Peach. I've learned so much and connected so much that I'm so grateful. Like, I can't even talk about how grateful I am. And I, like, it, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna get emotional, but like, it's just, um, I've never felt whole before until the Bitten Peach started being surrounded by other Asian people and something, and other mixed race Asians, and other queer mixed race uh, Asians is something you can't, you, you can't. And when you go to a Bit and Peach show and it's filled with Asian audiences, it's a whole new level. Just being in the same room of other Asian people that it's not a casting. Mm. It's not like, <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean? It's not a casting for Asian people. It, you oh. know, it's not. <laughs> I just got that. Do you know what I mean? It's not like an acting thing where yeah. they're specifically looking. I've never been in a room with that many Asians before that was like, I get really excited when I'm in a room full of Asian people. Right? Yeah. It's so exciting because they get it. Yeah. It's that click and it's like really addictive. I, when I 
when I'm in a like in a social setting with loads of Asian people and feel so much like human connection. Yeah. I'm like, this is what everybody else has been feeling. <laughs> And like we've been missing and I didn't even know it, so I completely understand what you mean. But even like when we talk about like Asian people, like it is people from all over Asia. Yeah. And we like the thing we have in common is actually the things we don't have in common. Like we really just understand where we all came from. Like we're from such different generations of coming yeah. to the UK, right? We're from different parts of Asia. We have completely different backgrounds and experiences, but what we bond on is that difference. Yeah. Um, but the commonality is that we came over and we have now found a crew of people who get what it feels like to immigrate yeah. and to find their culture within a place that has always rejected it. Yeah. And like the first time I met you was at that photo shoot. Yeah, when and you I brought had, your massive rice cooker. I just flew in from <laughs> Hong Kong and I, like, I was late and I opened my suitcase and trying to put an outfit together and they just had a rice cooker. They're like, we're not even joking. Like That is yeah. me bringing a rice cooker back from Hong Kong. And that bonded us, like that really yeah. felt like, wow, like these people get me, it's not weird to have a rice cooker. And all these people are my drag parents, you know? So it's like my whole chosen family has been found through performance. Um, one of your other co-founders, Shay Shay, um, I read a quote and I just wanted to read it. Um, Life for a femme, Asian, non-binary, trans person is risky from the moment I walk out my front door and to be on stage invisible, that's even riskier. I'm willing to take that risk. I don't want to hide trying to exist in the shadows. So that quote made me think um, in terms of safety, like getting to and from gigs, like do you guys have a routine or do you do anything to... I'm very lucky. Um, I've never had any issues. When I'm in like full drag, I've never had any issues getting on public transport. Um, I don't know whether my resting bitch face is like really <laughs> on point or I'm just really good at being oblivious. But I'm very, I've, I've been very, very lucky in, in that sense. Um, And also, I, after living in Bangkok for seven years, I know how to like, I'm very street smart, I know how to protect myself. Like, I'll crack your skull um, if I have to. <laughs> Don't mess with Lily at a show. If you heckle Lily, she will rip you apart. She will stop the show, get one to move away, and read you for five minutes. Like. Don't get on about <laughs> Yeah, I have anger issues, so I'm pretty okay. Um, I've been to anger management and everything, so I'm pretty okay personally, um, which I'm very, very fortunate for, and I still finger cross. And I mean, I will still walk down in London with keys in my hand. Yeah. Um, if anyone wants, with Lo, who is an Asian um, like creator, they've got these little like key rings. They're incredible, but they're shaped like. Um, what are they called? The Uji board? What are they called? Uji, wi the Uji knuckle, board. knuckle dusters? No, they're like, you know when you're like trying to call the spirits with the little reed Ouija, thing? Ouija yeah, board. Ouija board. It's like shaped like that and it's got a hole in it. Yeah, it's like a key ring and it looks like a little heart, but you can actually, it's got a hole in it for you to put your finger in and it's made out of acrylic. <laughs> oh my God. And it's got a little, it's sharp. It's got like a little point on it. It's called Withlow. So I've, I have one of those and I when I walk home, I walk with my keys. It, with this acrylic thing down the street. Earphones off. Turn, sorry. <laughs> it's honestly, earphones off, keep checking behind you to the side, yeah. pay attention, but I've always, I always have escape plans. 
So if I'm walking with a suitcase, I'll always know where to walk. When I used to walk home, when I lived in London, there was a corner shop that at the end of every gig, on the way home, I would pop into there because they've got cameras in there. So they know a timestamp that I've been in there. Oh, wow. And if I'm worried, I wait five minutes and I, tell, I would tell the shop people that I'm a bit nervous and they all go outside. You just get, get to know your local shops, people. Seriously, get to know your local shops. Get to know like the people who are on there 24-7. Make sure you put yourself in front of that camera. Like I know it sounds, but it's just safety. But I've never had to like... I'm lucky. I'm very lucky. I feel like I'm not so lucky at all. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it's <laughs> like two like different... A queer, femme, non-binary trans person and it being Asian, like, I don't think there is ever a time if I'm wearing something gender non-conforming that I'm not harassed. Like, even if I'm not doing a gig, I'm not in makeup, I will get harassed. Like, and because I'm male presenting, people feel okay to just shout at me. And it's more for me, like the embarrassment and the humiliation that I have to deal with of everyone else than looking and not doing anything that I have to deal with. Like, personally, I couldn't care what you say about me, right? Like, I have chosen my outfit, I've done this and that, but when I have been in makeup or in something more feminine, I really have to look out for my safety. And when I first started performing, like, I couldn't afford to take an Uber anywhere. I would take the bus, and I have gotten into fights on buses of, like, people saying they want to spit on me, people say they want to hurt me, like, it's really scary sometimes when you think about it. Um, so then it got to a point where I'll only get into all of my drag when I get to the backstage area. Mm. But then I had a day job, so it's like, how do I do that and then get to there and then be ready to be on stage and perform and then take it all off before I come back home when it's really like two in the morning. Like, it's a lot to think about, but I think we take it for granted sometimes, like street mm. safety. Yeah. Mm. Um, to talk about something a bit more positive, that <laughs> one <laughs> <laughs> quite violent. Um, when I was researching for this podcast, I just saw on all your platforms the word joy, Asian joy, yes. and I just love that you guys celebrate because it's not everyday trauma, everyday yeah. hardships. No. <laughs> we have a great time at the Bitter Peach shows. You should come. Yeah. Everyone should come. Um, I wanted to ask you guys, like, what brings you guys joy, and what do you love about being Asian? Dim sum. <laughs> <laughs> it's always food. It's always it's food. Always it is food. always food. It's when always have we ever met on a social occasion not had food? Never. Never. No, there's always food. It's disappointing when there's it's not food. It's an Asian food. thing. Feeding. <laughs> feeding is a is an Asian thing in any Asian culture. It's feeding. We want to feed you. We want to feed you to show you. We can't give you physical affection. <laughs> that would be crazy. Why would we want to touch each other? So we feed you. It's always like, you know, you know when your grandma loves you, she'll peel the fruit for you. Aww. You know what I mean? There <laughs> were so many people like nodding, like, yeah, that's how my grandma showed that she loved me, by peeling the mango she picked off her tree. My mom would be like, she never used to peel the mango for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? She'd cut it up and give, my mom would just be like, I never got that kind of affection. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but yeah, food. It, like, get togethers with food makes me so happy. Same. Yeah. I mean, like, I was having a really stressful day, and I was just like, you know what, but I'm coming here, I'm gonna see Lily, I'm gonna see Evelyn, like, I'll be fine. I just know that I'm with my family, I'll be okay. But another thing that brings me joy, honestly, is like seeing, like, 
the performers on stage. Like, we don't do every single show, and we get to watch. And have, getting to watch a bit of your show is so much fun, because you just see people being absolutely ridiculous and stupid, and really <laughs> owning exactly who they are. And I think that's something that we forget. Like, yeah. Asian people can be really fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and we want to celebrate that as well. Yeah, in the best way. Yeah. Can you guys talk to me about Peach Fuzz? Yeah. Which is such a cute name. It's yes. so cute. <laughs> we love Peach Fuzzes. So, uh, Evelyn Connor actually runs the Peach Fuzz course. Um, and um, they're held like every couple of months. Yeah. Um, and it's eight week, it's an eight week course. We have different mentors. So, um, there's like eight places, right? So there's eight places and then we always have like one like sponsored place, one or two sponsored place, you know, for performers who want to be a performer and stuff but don't have the financial means, you can apply um, and uh, you can get on the course. But you learn so much that you learn about like different history and like burlesque and drag. You learn about um, character work, you learn movement, you learn about costuming, you learn about etiquette, you learn about like what else is like everything anything to do with like a performance Um, and then you create your own piece or if you have a piece already you can kind of like develop it a bit more and then we always have like a showcase um, so you can go on stage and you show the venue and everyone else your piece and everyone cheers for you and there are snacks (laughs) food obviously (laughs) I think yeah I think what we found was that you know, as I guess like generalizing Asian people, like we're not encouraged to be performers. And we meet a lot of people at our shows who are super creative and want to perform. And so it was really important for us to kind of help foster those people yeah. and their talent and creativity and put a platform up because it is difficult for an Asian performer, especially a queer Asian performer, to get onto a stage, period. Yeah. And be represented the way they want to be represented. And it's like yeah. thing for us to be able to carve out that space, support them, mentor them, fix their eyelash like things like that like yeah. really makes a difference like to be the community supporting them that they didn't have yeah yeah and also having a bit of that like you know tiger mum yes, yeah tough, a bit of tough love to go with it as well mm-hmm. um and also to know that um the performers that we're putting out there are ready to like go forth and also so people know and they know that they're good at what they do we know they're good at what they do. Because I don't want to put out... It's so easy. I'm sorry, but it's like... There are a lot of schools who do, like, cookie-cutter yeah. performers. Like, learn all these basic moves, now go. They don't tell you anything else. But at least you know that you are a unique performer and you'll be going out with the tools that you need to be good. And also that you have us as a background. I will never... Personally, I will never, never, never let anyone go on stage looking like crap never and Lily says that at a show I'll be like how do I look I like, is this okay like I really like mess up my makeup and she's like I would never let you go on stage yeah. looking bad because never. it makes you look bad it makes me look bad <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's absolutely true I know it's a very Asian thing to say but like I don't want to do you know what I mean it reflects on, on, on me and I will never yeah. let any of my babies sure. go out looking bad you are all going out also feeling your best so if you don't look good and I don't feel you look good or I feel you're not confident enough, I won't make you go out there, ever. 
it's always like I'm the I'm the tiger mum of the family. You are. You yeah, because are. I'm honest. <laughs> Where can people apply for this program? Just email us. Yeah, you just email. Bitimpeachuk at gmail.com. Yeah. What have you guys got coming up for the rest of the year for the Bit and Peach, but also if you have personal projects that you want to talk on? So Bit and Peach wise, where are we? We've got Brighton Pride this weekend, so yeah. August 7th. So if anyone's um, going on Sunday. So everyone's going here. Uh, we're also doing Manchester Pride August 29th. 27th. 27th. We have <laughs> a Peachy Girls show at the Bethel Green Working Men's Club on September 2nd. That's a full cabaret drag show where our Bit and Peach K-pop group are coming back together <gasps> yeah. for their big comeback tour. And you'll see Lily, you'll see me, you'll see Evelyn, you'll see Shay Shay, you'll see Mahatma Candy as well. And personally, I have a new song coming out on August 26th um, called Ritual. And it's my new single. And I'm gonna perform it for you a little later. And yeah, look at, keep an eye out for my new songs. Um, I am doing quite a few shows this week. So if anyone's free on Friday, I'm going to be at Sway Bar for um, House of Burlesque. They have a show called Poly Tits. Uh, so it's all a political show. So I'll be doing some acts there. Uh, Brighton Pride. Uh, Manchester Pride. Um, I am based up north, so if anyone's up near Manchester, I'm always around and about. And I do have some personal projects coming up, but that's all a bit shush <laughs> right can't now. Can't say yet. No. Oh, I'm glad I didn't say anything. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> um, so that's a bit shum right now. But if you keep, if you follow me on Instagram at Lily Snatch. That's L-I-L-L-Y-S-N-A-T-C-H. Um, it'll come up when the time is right, when I'm allowed to share. But it's very exciting, and I will be in London next year for a bit. Doing very iconic things. <laughs> doing things I'm probably not meant to be doing, but <laughs> who it. cares? Uh, it's also, be just to drop my social media as well, it's Jason Kwan Music on everything. Thank you so much, Lily and Jason. Thank you so much for having oh, us. Oh, we've got a gift for you. Yes. We got you a little badge. Oh, thank a little you. bit of beach badge. That's so cute. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Lily Snatch Dragon and Jason Kwan from The Bitten Peach. I hope you enjoyed that live episode and I'll be hosting one more podcast live show at Somerset House on Wednesday the 17th of August at 7pm. It's absolutely free to join so please come down and say hello. Please also make sure you subscribe, follow and rate this show to keep posted on new episodes. You can also get in touch with me at Don't Call Me Exotic Pod and at O-N-E-O on Instagram. You can also send me an email at don'tcallmeexoticpod at gmail.com. Oh, and make sure you don't call people exotic. Bye.